What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Sunday, August 7th, 2022, as the St. Louis Cardinals can't stop, won't stop. It's unbelievable. Six games in a row the Cardinals have won, and now they are going to wake up on Sunday morning in sole possession of first place in the National League Central for the first time since, and I think this math is right, June 23rd was actually the last morning where the Cardinals woke up that a.m. in sole possession of first. And then they lost to the Brewers that night, and so they were back to a first-place tie. And they hadn't climbed out ahead of Milwaukee since for even any moment in time, as far as I can tell. And uh, today they do. They get a one nothing win over the Yankees, the second win in a row over New York. They have now guaranteed a series victory over the mighty Bronx Bombers. And you'll have Adam Wainwright on the bump for Sunday afternoon going for the sweep against Frankie Montas. Just as everybody predicted, Frankie Montas ready to pitch at Bush Stadium this week. Right? Everybody thought that right before the trade deadline that he would be here, I'm sure. Well, he is. He's just, you know, pitching for the Yankees and the Cardinals got a pitcher from the Yankees who pitched today and shut out the Yankees over five innings. Incredible stuff. The Cardinals are on a roll right now. And tonight, we're excited to get into all of it on B-Shape Daily. We'll talk about the debut for Jordan Montgomery, who, of course, came over to the Cardinals from the Yankees in the Harrison-Bader trade. Bader not active yet with New York because of the injury with the plantar fasciitis. However, Jordan Montgomery already contributing to the Cardinals, and he did so in a big way on Saturday with his first start for St. Louis. First time he's ever pitched in a game for a team not the New York Yankees, and he happens to be facing the New York Yankees. And so... Talk about that. Talk about how Jordan Montgomery reacted to the win after the game. Got a chance to talk with him in the Cardinals clubhouse. There's no post-game show. There's no Bally Sports for this game. So a lot of what we might talk about could be news to people who tend to otherwise find those videos or different snippets on Twitter. I don't think there's anything really out there from this game. So, hey, you got to rely on me to tell you what was going on. And we'll do just that on this episode of B-Shape Daily. Now, not a lot of offense to talk about from the game tonight, but we'll tell you how the Cardinals came up with their lone run and how the man who supplied it also made a big impact on the defensive side of things, as he often does. Cardinals third baseman Nolan Arenado does it again, welcomes Jordan Montgomery to the team in the way that only he knows how with some impeccable defensive work to allow Montgomery to... Continue that shutout bid. Of course, he only leaves after five innings. We'll talk a little bit about why that took place as well for the Cardinals starter. Talk about the bullpen, getting the job done tonight for the Cardinals. And one reliever in particular gets his shining moment against his former team as well. Multiple Cardinals pitchers in this game, former Yankees. And the man that got it done in the ninth inning, Giovanni Gallegos, comes through in a big way, and I'll tell you about what he said after the game as well. Maybe not going to use the actual words that he used, but we'll share some information about how fired up Giovanni Gallegos was and maybe how fired up Yadier Molina was during a meeting on the mound in that ninth inning when Gallegos shut down the Yankees 1-2-3 to bring home the winner for the Cardinals. Before we get into the content of the show, I want to take a quick moment to remind you that you can subscribe to Be Shaped Daily on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Really, anywhere you get your audio podcasts, you will find Be Shaped Daily. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 
click on the more platforms tab and there you can locate all the possible audio locations where B-Shape Daily can be found. And if you'd like to support the show, and I want to give a big shout out to a couple people who did so today, Jeffrey and Austin, I appreciate you guys so tremendously for contributing and supporting B-Shape Daily, what I'm trying to do here to get this thing off the ground. You guys are the best. If you'd like to support the show as well, it's easy to do. Head on over to my Twitter account, at bshafer 12 You click on the little money tab next to the follow button, and there you'll find links to my Venmo or my Cash App account. Appreciate you guys tremendously who have done so. No obligation, of course, but I appreciate you regardless for listening to Be Shaped Daily. And by the way, another way you can support me, if you like the content I'm putting out, go to kmov.com sports and help my bosses over there really think I'm doing a great job because I put out multiple articles. I think four or five articles over the weekend had a number of articles around the trade deadline time. I've been cranking them out for KMOV and from this game tonight, you've got articles on the fact that the Cardinals broke an attendance record in this game in, in terms of, I, I guess that wasn't really the Cardinals. It was more you guys, the Bush Stadium crowd, that broke the attendance record. We'll get into that a little bit here tonight on the show, but wrote an article that involved that and, and maybe the reason that it happened tonight of all nights and talk about that a little bit. You could read that at KMOV.com sports. You can also read about an article that I finished up this morning, but it was actually about Dakota Hudson versus Andre Pallante from Friday's game. So if you don't want to read just the good stuff, you can read about some of the, maybe the struggles the Cardinals could be going through is they've got to figure out what's going on with that starting rotation spot. And so I dove in a little bit on that. You can hear from the, the key players from that situation, Ali Marmol in particular, what he had to say about Dakota Hudson on Friday. Of course, if you listen to Be Shaped Daily, you've already heard how the Cardinals manager felt about that situation because we played the audio right here. But if you haven't, you can scroll on back on your podcast feed for that one. Additionally, I wrote an article tonight for KMOV about the one play from Nolan Arenado that really defined this game for the Cardinals. Just a remarkable defensive play at third base. Maybe not even the best defensive play of the game, though. We'll talk about how Lars Newtbar has his own claim for that possibility. But yeah, lots of articles going on at KMOV.com. Lots of podcasts coming out. So guys, any way you support me means a whole heck of a lot. But let's Stop with all the sappy stuff and get right into the meat of the program. Talk about this Cardinals 1-0 win over the Yankees on Saturday night. It was the debut of Jordan Montgomery, and to my eyes, he looked darn good. A little bit of a shaky start. Didn't get off to the best start in the world there in the first inning. Walks Josh Donaldson a few batters in, given up a hit. Gets the claw action from Mike Maddox. Three batters into the game. Probably didn't think that was going to be the case, and if you're a Cardinals fan, you're thinking, oh boy. What have we gotten ourselves into with this guy? He needs the pitching coach to come out after just a few batters in the first inning of his Cardinals career. That's not good. But ultimately, he really did settle in, partially due to, and I was watching that pitch count really closely for Montgomery in the first inning because I just kept thinking, he just needs that one pitch to get out of it, which is kind of the trope for Dakota Hudson that we say tongue-in-cheek because, you know, with Dakota Hudson, it's always runners on base, and it's true that a double play can get him out of it, but... More often than not, you give up some hard contact, you give up some bad contact, or you get into those situations just too frequently, you can't always expect that one pitch to be the one that gets you out of it. Not realistically, anyway. But in the case of Jordan Montgomery tonight, I just felt like if he could get that one pitch, allow himself to settle into his new environment just a little bit, his heart had to be racing there in that first inning. He obviously had some issues with the heat in St. Louis tonight. 
mentioned after the game that, you know, it's not all that different from what I've experienced in South Carolina, but I, it's been a while since I've been in it. This isn't like New York, the St. Louis summer. So I do need to get acclimated a little bit. And I think the cramping issues that popped up in, with his legs were what caused him to come out of the game a little bit early tonight after just 83 pitches through five innings. He met with the trainers. Ali Marmal was out there on the mound as well to begin the fifth. He threw a couple warm-up pitches, said he was good to go, got through that inning scoreless, but did not come out for the sixth inning. And he said after the game that he didn't really fight that with the manager, Ali Marmel, when Marmel said, yeah, you're done for the night. I think it was precautionary on all sides. And Montgomery even said, I didn't want to potentially risk that turning into like a hamstring pull or something like that. It was cramps, no big deal. He's going to be fine for making his next start because the Cardinals went with a little bit of a precautionary approach for him there. But I felt like in that first inning, just get that one pitch. I know you're into the early to mid-20s right now on pitch count. You've only got one out, so you definitely don't want to lose this guy here. That's what I kept thinking at that point in the game for Jordan Montgomery because you didn't want to see that first inning turn into a 30, 35-pitch, 40-pitch affair where he's not getting outs. This is a new guy to the coaching staff, and they have to start wondering questions like, do we do we warm somebody up? What do we do? This is our first encounter, our first experience with this player. How is he going to react to this situation? Glaber Torres was the cleanup better in that spot. Maybe that was just the part of my brain being a pessimist. I'm catastrophizing the potential for Jordan Montgomery's first Cardinal start to really go off the rails. And then kind of a, a sharp chopper to the left side that Nolan Arenado handles with a plum. No problem. 5-4-3 double play. They're out of the inning. Jordan Montgomery doesn't have to throw all that many more pitches and all's well that ends well. I think that was something that really allowed him to settle in, gave up that base hit, gave up a walk in the first inning, but ultimately no damage was done. And from there, he goes one, two, three in the second, gives up just a harmless single to his former catcher in the third. And he talked about Kyle Higashoka after the game saying, that's a guy that I've been with for like 10 years. We came up together. He's been catching me my entire career, really, with the Yankees. And so that was probably an interesting at-bat for uh, Montgomery to face against his former catcher, Higashoka. But from there, it's 1-2-3 in the fourth, 1-2-3 in the fifth. Had the little issue with the cramping to start the fifth inning, was able to get through it, no problem. And it was that play in the fourth that Nolan Arenado made on Josh Donaldson that was just absolutely kick you in the crotch, spit on your neck, fantastic. I mean, holy smokes, was this a special play. And I apologize for being gratuitous there for those who are not familiar with the Friends reference, but that's what I was thats what I was going for. It just kind of came out, so I said it. And I think I tweeted it out at the time. Cardinals fans, well, first of all, Cardinals fans don't take this guy for granted, but I said Cardinals fans are seeing greatness on a nightly basis from Nolan Arenado. Send tweet. Like, that's what this guy brings to the table. Offensively, you know it's special. You know you can quantify those numbers. His OPS now for the season is above 900, so he's really been on a hot streak of late because you can recall times earlier in the year when he was in the mid-800s, maybe even low 800s in terms of OPS. He's really begun to turn it on recently. I should probably go and do a little bit of small sample size searching arbitrary endpoint madness to to find what Arenado's numbers have been over that recent hot stretch. And what's crazy about it is it really hasn't been all that recent. I mean, when you look at it, I'm going back to June 17th 
Again, I'm I'm not even denying that I'm going for the arbitrary endpoints here. Let me find when he started hitting it hot and then make him look really good. Like, that's the goal with this little exercise. But he's just been so consistent, really, since that June 17th date was the one that I picked out. And that's about, what, six, seven weeks from today, looking into the past. Ten home runs over that stretch. A stretch that, uh, let's take a look at the plate appearances, 157 plate appearances, so that's a homer for every 15.7, homer every 13.9 at-bats, 10 home runs, 22 RBIs, 14 walks, and 22, or pardon me, 21 strikeouts in that stretch, so guys got more RBIs than strikeouts over the past seven weeks or so. 338 average, 408 on base, 648 slug for a 1,055 OPS during that stretch. He's just been rock solid over the past seven weeks. I'm realizing now it's there's no small sample size madness. The numbers that were, I picked a date where, what was it? After June 15th, his OPS was 818, which was the lowest that it got really at any point this season because he started off so hot. His OPS was like 1,500 after a week or two. It was ridiculous. They, they tapered off a little bit. The lowest it ever got to following a game was 818. And from that low point of the season, he's had a, a 1055 OPS in the last six or seven weeks. So we know what he brings to the table offensively. You can see that and quantify it within the numbers. Defensively, you've just got to use your eyes to recognize that this guy is special with what he brings to the table. Just insanity what he did to Josh Donaldson tonight diving out to his right, completely sprawled out toward the baseline, has his glove on the chalk of the third baseline before he shifts his weight to his right knee. And you say he throws it from his knees. If you watch the throw, it's just the one knee, and then he's got the left foot up and slings it over to Goldschmidt with a perfect one-hopper. Like, you're not trying to throw that ball the way there because – if you put as much mustard on it as you can, but you're throwing from your knees so you don't have a good leverage, you might end up short hopping him. And then all of that was for nothing because the runner ends up being safe at first because it's one that Goldsmith's unable to come up with or you make his job more difficult than you need to. No, he even plans out that part of it by throwing a perfect one hopper to Goldsmith at first base. It's truly remarkable stuff. I mean, it's next level at every turn. And Arenado just does it like it's nothing. You remember before the trade went down, well, I guess we didn't know about it before the trade went down, but after the fact, Adam Wainwright shared this. I believe this was on a Zoom last year. I think we were still doing Zooms at that time. I got to be honest, all the COVID stuff kind of blends together. But I think this was a Zoom situation when Wainwright revealed this information. And he said, talking about Arenado playing defense, said like there was times before the trade was made that Nolan would text him videos of himself, of Arenado, going through defensive drills, like jump throws into foul territory from third base, just practicing those things, and would text him to Wayno and say, show this to Mo, because Arenado wanted to be in St. Louis. That was kind of the infamous story that came out about Arenado last year. And it was funny because John Denton, who now writes for MLB.com, he was not here last year covering the team. He was covering the NBA still at the time, I believe. And tonight he asked Nolan a question 
about do you practice those kinds of throws? Like the from your knees, diving to your right, like do you do you practice those or is it just instinct that you're able to make those kinds of plays? And I when he asked the question, I was thinking, well, I know the answer is that he's he's certainly put practice into them before because that's one of the type of plays, although I think it was more the jump throw that was was at reference when Arnado had sent that text to Wainwright. And I don't know how many times that happened, if it was just once or if it had happened multiple times to say, hey, show this to Mo, referencing John Mozeliak so that Arnado could be traded to St. Louis like he wanted and like Cardinals fans wanted to see happen. So I don't know if the dive to your right, throw from your knees was a play that he practiced over and over, but it was cool. I, I hear John Denton ask the question. I go, oh, this is going to be interesting. Like, we have some insight that we know has, like, yes, we know that this is something that Arnado, the type of play anyway, that he that he has practiced in the past. And he said, well, it's really just instinct. And he said, I, I, I do practice it. Well, I used to practice it. I don't so much anymore, but I used to. Which tells me, like, he's just so comfortable and confident in what he's doing now. He doesn't have to do a thousand reps in the offseason of that kind of play. He makes it in the games, and it's just it's just second nature at this point for him, which is really cool to hear him say. He said, but yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. I'd say I'm pretty comfortable making that kind of play. Like, just fantastic stuff from Nolan Arenado. And actually, as I'm sitting here talking about it, I'm realizing that what I mentioned earlier, there was no Bally Sports postgame show. A lot of times, they'll have the videos in the clubhouse, and you'll get a chance to see and hear from the players after the game. Some local news stations might have been in there, and if you watch one of the local channels, maybe you saw some highlights or some conversation from after the game. But I would imagine, I would venture to guess, that most Cardinals fans probably did not have an opportunity to see or hear any of these quotes that I'm talking about. So maybe I'm just going to let it run. Play a little Nolan Arenado, and you can hear the question and answer session in the scrum in front of his locker from the Cardinals clubhouse. I do want to set it up, though, first by discussing and breaking down a little bit another sensational play defensively by Lars Newpar. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that Arnauto's might not have been the top defensive play from the game. And I would say that Newpar's might have been. And Arnauto had, had a funny line to say about that. But the reason I wanted to make sure we covered it first was so you, you had the context. If you saw the game... He obviously saw the play that Lars Newpar made in right center field in a situation where with Henesis Cabrera pitching, eighth inning, game on the line because the game's always on the line in a one nothing game when you have the first run scored in the first inning and then nobody scores after that. And you're like, any one little situation can completely turn this game on its head. And for Lars Newpar, he found a way to make sure that didn't happen by laying all the way out for a catch in right center field that once he had made the decision to dive, if he does not pull that off, Cardinals probably lose this game because it gets by him and it gets to the warning track or to the wall and at least one run scores and it's a whole ass ordeal. But instead, Lars Newpar, Newton Nation stand up, made it happen to rob Kyle Higashoka of extra bases for sure. He might end up on third base in that situation. And it was great to hear from Ollie Marmel after the game as well, who kind of said, like, that's the kind of play that you're hyped up about it. You're cheering it because he made the catch. But when he makes that decision to dive, like, if he doesn't come up with that baseball, it's probably one that we're asking him later on, why'd you dive? Why didn't you play it safe? And that's, man, when I heard that from Marmel, my heart sort of sank. I'm like, damn. Like, 
Lars Newpar just made the play of the game. And that's real talk for the manager when he says, listen, the margin for error is so slim. There might have had to been a conversation if he doesn't make that play. You might have heard a past manager or two say, oh, we like the aggressiveness. Like, let's say Cardinals lose that game two to one. Mike Matheny would have said, oh, we love we love our, our guys being aggressive in that spot. Mike Schilt might have said, you know, we'll, we'll live or die by the aggression. And we've talked at times in, in the past, it has been about base running with those prior managers. And we say aggressive base running is good, but it's not like aggressive for the sake of being aggressive is not what you want. Can you run the bases intelligently, aggressively, like pick your spots? It's the same thing with defense. And I just like that Ollie Marble's like, no, we might have had to ask about that one if he didn't come up with it. But you know what he did? An incredible athletic play to rob the Yankees and to keep it scoreless. I know Henesis Cabrera was uh, rather thankful after that one. This is into right field. Newbar closes. Dives. Did he trap it or make the catch? He made the catch. Is about as hard as it gets. This ball is coming in, and he gets his glove in a position as he dives to make a really great catch. That ball easily could have handcuffed him, and he was able to make that play and keep this game right where it is. Yeah, Henesis Cabrera with the point to the sky, to the heavens, to say thank you, Lars Nupar, for making that play. Into the right center gap, just, I mean, man, oh, man, those are the kinds of plays, and of course you heard in the clip there from courtesy of the Fox broadcast, but you heard in the background the new chance going on from Cardinals fans. Those are the kinds of plays right there that you feel can turn not just a game, but a season. And the Cardinals had a couple of them tonight. Which brings me back full circle to the Arenado play. I want to play some audio from Arenado post game since I know probably most people haven't heard it yet. We're going to let that run a little bit. So enjoy some Q&A from Nolan Arenado after the Cardinals 1-0 win over the Yankees on Saturday. How proud are you of the play Lars made? I was telling him I, my play was better, but it was in a bigger situation, so he might get the nod. You know, obviously making that play in the eighth is it's a big deal. You know, it kind of slows the momentum down. That ball drops, you know. We got some problems mm-hmm. coming with DJ and Judge coming, so it was an unbelievable play. You're through from your knees. Do you ever work on that, or is it just instinct? It's just instinct. You know, I I do work on it. I used to work on it. I don't do it as much anymore. Um, But uh, I used to work on it a lot. But, uh, yeah, I feel very comfortable making that play like that. I think that's what my gun did. He killed got nine ground ball outs. Yeah. You got a good defense. Yeah. Yeah, no, he did did a great job. I mean, I don't know. That's got to be tough for a guy, you know, facing your former team. You were literally with them three days ago, four days ago. And, you know, they're a really good team, but so are we. And that's why we got him because we believe he can make us even better. So we're all happy he's here. He pitched a great game, but our bullpen did a great job too. All of them. They all said, you know, they just shut the door. It's great to see Hicksy come back and do a great job. Cabby, um, and then Gallegos, all those guys. How many things have to go into a one up? I mean, it's not a high scoring game, but it seems like there's just so many parts to, to get through a game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, well, I mean, our pitchers, right? I mean, they only got two hits. I mean, that's a pretty darn good lineup. And uh, to, only, to, to keep them to two hits, not just credit, it goes to all the pitchers. I mean, they did the job. Um, you know, obviously I had the one the one knocked, uh, you know, 
help us win it. But at the end of the day, it was our pitchers who uh, did did the job to get us the win tonight. When you got that knock, did you think, oh, well, that's a lot. No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've never seen Mont pitch. I know he's going to keep us in the ball game, do a great job. But that, like I said, the Yankees are just to hold on, too. Great team. It wasn't like you were Yeah, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was, uh, it, like I said, our pitchers won the game for us. No, we're not pretty potential to bad ears. I mean, that's a pretty convicted that that's take anyway, but when you stepped on first, you turned around, you were fired up to your dugout. What comes, like, what does that emotion stem from that early in the game? Yeah, I think just just the battle, you know, it's a mm -hmm. tough at bat. Um, winning it, you know, it's hard to win, you know, win at bats. It's just hard to hit in general, but so to be able to get that bag, get the RBI, um, and uh, I don't know, it's just packed house. It's fun. Get a great environment. Playoff is, feels like a playoff environment in a sense, so it was really fun. Mm -hmm. So that was Nolan Arenado after the game. It was fun to hear him kind of joke about saying Lars Newpar's play, oh, mine was better, but then he admitted, well, that was in a bigger spot. That was the eighth inning runner on base, and if it gets by him, we're maybe in a bad situation there with the runners, the batters that the uh, Yankees had coming up, I should say. So pretty impressive stuff there by Newpar, of course, and fun to hear Arenado react to it. You heard the clip there that I mentioned as well about whether or not that's an instinctual play or something that he's practiced, and he says, yeah, I mean, I used to practice it, not so much anymore, but... It's it's a play I'm certainly comfortable with making. And then he talks about, too, the emotion that he had after reaching first base with the RBI hit. And that was in the first inning. But, like, where does that emotion come from in the first inning of a game? It's just, he said the words there, playoff environment. And it's something about that national environment. You know it's on Big Fox. You know everybody's watching Cardinals, Yankees. You know the Yankees have been slipping a little bit, but they're still the best team in the American League. I think actually the Astros might have passed them for record. It's, it's close, neck and neck between the two. But after the loss tonight, I think the Astros went into the day a half game back. I don't know if they happened to win or lose. I didn't pay attention to that. But, I mean, this is an environment and a situation. You've got the largest crowd in Bush Stadium 3 history. I believe it was 48,581 paid to see it. And by the way, the reason for that, yes, it's Cardinals-Yankees, but when you have Cardinals-Yankees going on on a Saturday night and it's Joe Torre bobblehead night, that's going to that's gonna get the butts in the seats because you've got the two professional organizations that Torre is most renowned for spending time with. I know he managed for some other teams and he even played for some other teams. But playing for the Cardinals for a long time, won his MVP award with the Cardinals in 1971, four all-star appearances in six seasons, managed the Cardinals for five or six years in the 90s, and then, of course, managing the Yankees for, what, 20 years, 21 years, winning four World Series, six American League pennants. Like, if you put those two fan bases together, and by the way, a lot of Yankees fans at Bush this weekend, and it's so fun. It's like this is what reminds me that you don't see this often because when you see Cincinnati Reds jerseys or Cubs jerseys or Pittsburgh Pirates fans or Diamondbacks fans, like you see those fan base, the Giants come to town and that's kind of fun. They're West Coast, the Dodgers, you see those guys, they, they come out. But it's just, there's something different about seeing a bunch of Yankees fans walking around downtown St. Louis. And a lot of them might be from here. They're just Yankees fans. They support the Yankees, but they're not from New York, whatever. But you can just tell there's a lot of folks that are in town. They are New Yorkers. And it is just cool to see the environment that that creates. I mean, you get you hear the New Yorkers when they're chanting and when they're heckling in the game. Tonight, you could hear from the upper deck where the kind of where the press box is located. You could hear somebody yelling to IKF Isaiah Kiner Falefa, say, "Go back to Texas!" Like 
this dude had just robbed Nolan Arenado with a great defensive play of his own the inning or two previous, and now he comes up to bat and he's getting heckled by his own fan base. Go back to Texas. They traded for him, got him from the Rangers. Like, they, I don't know. It's just something. It just puts a smile on my face, honestly. And by the way, and I'm the worst at this. I'm the worst at the transitions and remembering what the hell I was talking about before. But like a like a little squirrel with the attention span of nothing. I have to mention something else that put a smile on my face. The Cardinals actually did it. They played Long Hot Summer Day by Turnpike Troubadours when Matt Carpenter came to bat the first time today, and it was awesome. They, I mentioned on the podcast yesterday they didn't do it the first game on Friday, but even if they had, the, the ovation was so loud you wouldn't have even been able to hear the music. So I was like, no, that was fine. I understand. But then I kind of forgot about it, and then as he's coming up today, he batted fifth, played DH once again. They, they turned the music on, and they, they were quick with the trigger this time. I think in the first time, everybody was anticipating the Carpenter at bat because it was the first one, and so the applause started before he even got to the plate, before he even got announced. But in this case, they got the music going right away, and, dude, I was giddy. Like, anybody who saw me in the press box for about a five-minute period, and again, I love the, I love the song. I love that it was the soundtrack to St. Louis, to baseball in St. Louis for a long time because Matt Carpenter was the leadoff man. And so the first at-bat of the game for a number of summers in a row was often Matt Carpenter, and it was that song. And then beyond that, I have listened to all of the Turnpike Troubadour songs that they have released, and it's I would describe it as my favorite band. Like, Matt Carpenter is the reason that happened. I've interviewed Matt Carpenter about his walk-up songs a few years ago in spring training. So it was just really cool for me. I know a lot of Cardinals fans dig the song, and so I sort of was like a kid in a candy shop there for a little bit after that had happened. But I wanted to make sure I mentioned that and got to gush about that a little bit before I got too deep into the podcast and forgot about it. Because when it happened tonight, man, it was really cool. And the ovation, by the way, today was massive again for Carpenter in his first at-bat. He had another... Fly ball to the warning track. He had one on Friday, now one on Saturday. This one was a little bit more directed to right center. And what occurred to me in the moment when I saw that hit, and it might be a little bit crass, but I tweeted it anyway. I said, 40 years after he retires, Matt Carpenter might come back into Bush Stadium in the dead of night and just urinate on the warning track between right and right center field. I said, it happened to him again. Long fly ball dies at the track. But that's what I was thinking, like, Matt Carpenter's got to just be like, you got to be kidding me, man. But he knows by now, right? He said it last night, told Marley, Marley Rivera of ESPN that, no, I thought it might go out, but I've played in this ballpark long enough to know that if you think it's going to be a home run, it's not. You have to absolutely know for sure that you got all of it or you're not going to be rounding the bases. It's just the reality of Bush Stadium. And I think I think Aaron Judge might have found that out too in the in the ninth inning. We'll get to that in a minute. But after another one of my famous tangents, I want to wrap up the thought on the bobblehead day and the reason that so many fans came to the park. And I knew it when I walked up to the stadium about uh, 4.30 or so this afternoon. Gates had probably just opened up, and it was packed, man. The sidewalks were packed. Every single gate had just a massive line longer than I've ever seen And I was like, okay, yeah, they're about to break another attendance record. And so I tweeted that out. 
And sure enough, not only did they break the record for the season, because they said Friday night, this is the largest attendance of the, of the season, blah, blah, blah. They, they broke it for the entire history of the ballpark. And the previous record was set on May 12, 2019. That's a Sunday. If you're doing the math on the giveaways, that was Mother's Day and the first time they gave away the Mother's Day purses, which I think I've got one or two still sitting around in my basement somewhere. Or I might have given them away to a fa- grandma, mom. I don't know who got the purse. People were buying those things on eBay for a lot of money, though. I do know that. But I think I ended up with a couple of them from over the years. But that was the first year that it happened. And so you figure, okay, everybody's taking their moms to the game, which is crazy because I think they only give away like twenty five or 30,000 of them. They only give away 25,000 bobbleheads, and yet double that ends up being in the stadium tonight. And again, the standing room only. I didn't go for my, my, my mid-game walk today like I often do around the concourses and just kind of hanging out and checking out the different areas of the ballpark because the game was it was so locked and loaded. I didn't want to get up, and I, I had too much work to do at my seat. But I just staring out the press box window, I have never seen the standing room only areas so filled that I can ever recall. So, I mean, it, it was a lit environment at Bush Stadium for sure. I think the Joe Torre factor was a little bit a part of that. I did see Joe Torre coming into the ballpark as well in Aggie's lobby, which is like the media entrance slash VIP entrance. And sometimes you see some famous people down there. But Joe Torre was there taking a picture with Aggie, who is the longtime attendant to that area. And she's got her desk down there and and takes care of everybody coming through. So that was kind of fun. I was like, oh, Joe Torre's here. Yeah, that's right. It's his bobblehead. No wonder. So I, I put that picture up on Twitter as well. Also put a picture up of Aaron Judge from before the game, just because when I got there, the Yankees were taking BP. I'm like, I'm going to head down to the field because I just want to see, I just want to, like, do I even come up to his shoulders? Probably not. <laughs> like, I just wanted to see Aaron Judge, if he was going to take BP up close. And sure enough, he did. And he was talking to some fans. I think he might've signed a couple things as well for some kids. And uh, that's when I snapped one of the pictures of him. But, he really does look like an Avenger in person. I mean, Matt Holiday was a big dude. I remember when I started covering the Cardinals in 2016 and just marveling at Matt Holiday physically. Like, he's just, you, you walk by him in the hallway, and he, he's just a different species. And Aaron Judge is even even bigger than Matt Holiday. <laughs> like, just absolutely ripped. And six foot seven, I think, is what they say he is. I would have, I, you could have told me six foot ten, and I would have believed you. Just standing in that proximity to him on the field today, but yeah, I, I, that was a little bit of fun stuff from from before the game as well. In that Mother's Day game, by the way, some some fun factoids about that as we're researching and Cardinals PR is coming up with. Yeah, it was May nine or May twelfth, twenty nineteen. This Mother's Day, uh, and then they say. This one, Chris Stratton was the winning pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which, of course, that's the Cardinals' new reliever, came over in the deal with the Pirates from that Jose Quintana trade. So that was kind of funny. And then I got to looking at it further, and I go, well, who started for the Cardinals that day? It was Dakota Hudson. And then I tweeted out, I said, and to answer your next question, three hours and 29 minutes. (laughs) Because... Of course, when I saw Dakota Hudson had started the game, and he gave up like nine hits, didn't have a great start, obviously. They lost 10-6, to six, so that tells you pretty much all you need to know. But I thought, okay, Dakota Hudson started the game. I wonder how long the game lasted because we're harping this week on Dakota Hudson's pacing issues and the fact that he just works so slowly with runners on base. 
three hours and 29 minutes. Like, yeah, that tracks. That stands to reason. KMOV.com slash sports if you want to find uh, my recent article on Hudson and the pacing issues and whether or not that means that maybe Andre Pallante should go back into the rotation. I got to do shameless plugs on the podcast, guys, because it's just me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one here. I write it. I produce it. I record it. I, pro- I distribute it. It's all me. I really don't write anything, though. I'm just freewheeling here at the microphone, which is what's fun about B-Shape Daily. And hope I hope you guys think it's fun, too. I know some of you are probably like, get some guests. Like, talk to somebody else. I would, but I have to be I have to be real with you right now. It's 3.12 a.m. on Sunday morning as I am speaking the words into this microphone. So I don't know what I don't know which guests are going to come on for that. But hey, if it's getting out in the morning time before people wake up, it's got to happen now or it doesn't happen. So that's why the overnight podcast recording. And that's why you probably you guys probably catch me in a pretty loopy stage, uh, loopy state of mind in terms of where I am mentally upon recording this show. But and that's part of the reason for the tangents, too. So let's get this thing back on track and discuss. Well, let's just jump to the end. Let's jump to the ninth inning. Giovanni Gallegos enters the game. You knew he was going to have to. And I tweeted this out just because I wanted to be clever, and I thought it was a nice turn of phrase that after Hennessy Cabrera got out of the eighth inning, I was like, well, will Ali Marmel allow the the, the biggest crowd, the largest crowd in Bush Stadium 3 history to listen to some ACDC here in the ninth inning because I wanted to hear Hell's Bells. It's, of course, the entrance music for Ryan Helsley. He had pitched two games in a row. He was absolutely not going to be available tonight. I kind of knew that, but I was looking to... Sometimes you poke the bear. I was having a little bit of fun. And it was Giovanni Gallegos' game. And you look back, Gallegos has not given up a run, I believe this is right, since July 12th. Which is interesting because you probably think of Gallegos as having struggled recently, and he did for a while. Earlier in July, he really did. He had multiple games in a row where he just kept coughing up runs, and you you didn't want him in those situations. He had four consecutive games from July 7th to the 13th of July. So I had it wrong. It wasn't the 12th. It was the 15th that was his first kind of renaissance outing, his first scoreless appearance after having four games in a row where he goes, earned run, gave up a homer, earned run, two hits, earned run, gave up a homer and a walk, two earned runs in the next game, giving up three hits. And it was just a struggle. It was a difficult period in his season. He had taken his ERA from 2.90 to 3.86, almost went up an entire run which is hard to do in July. I mean, you're pretty far into the season by then. But over the course of four games, that's what he did. But then, from July 15th onward, it's it's been kind of sneaky that it's happened this way, but Gio has not given up a run in that time frame. From July 15th to last night, which I'm still talking about it as though it was today, but it was last night since it's 3.14 a.m., no earned runs in six and a third innings. Nine strikeouts, one walk, just three hits. He's really in the FIP. If you if you like wondering whether he's deserved the good results he's had, 0.74. So yeah, he's been solid. He's been really good. He's been back to Geo the way we know it. But I don't think anybody in the ballpark had that in mind when Aaron Judge was stepping up to the plate to face Gallegos in the ninth inning of a one run game tonight. That was like, hold on to your butts territory. 
And I love this from Gio Gallegos after the game. I'll admit that I didn't hear it in person, but I heard the other writers talking about it after I had come back up from the clubhouse to finish my work, try to get my ass home to do this show. Luis Nola, though, from KTRS, the Big 550, tweeted it out as well. He said, I asked Giovanni Gallegos, what did Yadier Molina say to him during the Aaron Judge mound visit in the ninth inning? Because middle of that at bat, Yadi, I can only describe it as this. Yadi gets up from behind the plate as though to say, all right, I've seen enough. Like, I've seen enough. It's not working what we're doing right now with Judge. And so Luis asked Gio what Yadi said to him during that mound visit. And he said, quote, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'll, I'll paraphrase where necessary. Quote, give me one quality pitch no matter who is at home plate. Enjoy the game. Let's effing go. Except I don't think Yachty said effing. Like, how great is that? That Geo drops the F-bomb in, a, in an interview. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a TV interview because, again, no Bally. So he, he sort of loosened up, I guess, with the riders around. So that's really cool. But that's Yachty for you, right? Like, he's trying to get his guy in the game and get his head where it needs to be, facing Aaron Judge. You know what he's capable of doing. He ends up hitting a fly ball pretty deep to center, uh, but not as deep as it sounded like it would be. And even Yachty and Gio both sort of reacted, uh, kind of cringe after the, the ball hits the bat. It was, I don't even, it didn't even get to the warning track. Like, it wasn't all that dangerous. But I think just the humidity, like, I'm serious. You could strike a ball well and still not have it even come close to a home run at Bush. It's absolutely the jet stream, the stadium. They put up the, the buildings, the BPV, the condos. I think it's, I buy it at all. Like, I'm into every conspiracy theory because sometimes you see a ball and you hear it the way it, the way it is struck, and it just it should just go much further than it does. So I'm I'm buying in on that one, but it benefited the Cardinals in this case, and then Geo gets out of the rest of the ninth inning, and that was all she wrote. Cardinals win it one nothing. They take it wire to wire after Nolan Arenado's RBI in the first. Cardinals had five at bats in the first inning, all five of them. Balls in play at 100 miles per hour or more on exit velocity. So I thought at that point, like, they're going to take Domingo Herman and they're going to take this guy to the cleaners. Like, they're going to absolutely shell this dude. And it didn't end up happening that way. But the first inning, they were they were squaring him up pretty well. First two guys hit into some tough luck. And then Goldschmidt doubles into left field. Arnado drives him in. And even Tyler O'Neill, he lined out to end the inning, I believe it was. Or grounded out. Had, had it hit sharply somewhere is what I remember. So I thought, man, they're going to they're gonna get this done today. Didn't happen that way, but they didn't need to. Wire to wire, a one nothing win. Crazy stuff, but it's what the Cardinals needed, and the Brewers, they lose. As I mentioned, the Cardinals will wake up on Sunday morning much earlier than I will, I assume, because I got I to gotta get some sleep in after this. But the Cardinals will wake up on Sunday morning in first place, sole possession for the first time since the morning of June 23rd. So well more than a month, and it feels good. Can they keep it going? Can they stay in that spot after Sunday? Adam Wainwright v. Frankie Montas at Bush Stadium. You couldn't draw it up much better than that. Adam Wainwright, by the way, I listened to some of the uh, audio from his interview during the Fox broadcast. He's so good. He I don't know if he's going to retire after this season. Cardinals fans should hope not because he's still got I, he's he's still at the top of his game. I mean, he's fantastic. On the mound, and this team, in terms of their rotation, unless they figure something out and, and get a magic potion to keep these guys a little healthier, they're going to need him next year. 
But regardless, when he does hang him up, if every big-time sports network that does baseball games doesn't throw a bag of money at this dude to be their lead color commentator, their lead analyst, I don't know what the hell anybody's thinking. He is as good as anybody will ever be at that job. I mean, seriously, the former player that does the analyst job, he could go ESPN, he could go Big Fox, no knock on John Smoltz, but Adam Wainwright would be better. I mean, he is just tremendous on television, and I know it's probably going to be a factor where he's retiring to spend more time with his family, so he's going to pick and choose his spots. He might parachute in for the playoffs but not have it be something that he does you know, on a, on a season-long basis. That's why, too, it's going to be hard for the Cardinals to get him for Bally. Like, and by the way, he's going to go national because he's so good, I would have to imagine. Again, this, if he wants to, it's going to, it's going to happen for him. And he's, do, he's done some postseason broadcasts and things like that, and he's, he's enjoyed it, obviously. So I, I would imagine that's in his future. But he's not going to want to do, like, the daily grind of a, of a local schedule like he would have to do for the Cardinals. I'm just saying, this guy needs to be on TV because he is fantastic every time he opens his mouth on a broadcast. But I think that's going to about wrap up this conversation surrounding the Cardinals' big win on Saturday. Again, a chance to not only stay in first place on Sunday with Wainwright v. Montas, the Cardinal who wasn't, as Frankie Montas ends up going to the Yankees. Man, the number of trade proposals that people talk to me about trying to get Montas to St. Louis... The fact that he's pitching at Bush Stadium tomorrow, but not for the Cardinals, I can't help but find that absolutely hysterical. But that's going to be a big game for the Cardinals. They come into this series, I think a lot of fans came into the series thinking, oh boy, just don't get swept. If you can just kind of tread water here, get a game, hope that the Brewers maybe lose to Cincinnati and worry about how to how to really build and sustain a division lead next week because the Cardinals get a chance to play some weaker teams. They play the Rockies, and then they get to actually play Milwaukee. So that's an opportunity head-to-head to be able to take care of your business. It's been a wild series for the Cardinals where they did not have the pitching advantage in Game 1 on Friday, Dakota Hudson against Nestor Cortez, and they find a way to win it anyway. Tonight, Jordan Montgomery against his former team, that could have been a scenario where he maybe wasn't ready for the moment. Maybe it was too much emotionally. Who knows? It wasn't the case in the end. All that Jordan Montgomery had trouble with, honestly, was the heat. Had the cramping and, and leaves after 83 pitches. Used the heck out of his sinker. Had nine ground ball outs, which is exactly what you're going to expect from him moving forward. You look at Brooks baseball. They have charted all his pitches for the season. 59% sinker balls against left-handed batters and still 36% against righties. So it's his most used pitch. It's a good one. He used it a lot tonight, and he said, yeah, I'm going to put the ball in play and let the guys behind me get the job done. Mentioned about Nolan Arenado. He said, I've seen the guy on ESPN a ton. It's nice to see that he's doing it for me now. So that's another uh, quote that I pulled from Montgomery. You can read about all that and more at KMOV.com slash sports in uh, some of the articles that I wrote for, for over there. I appreciate you guys tremendously. I wouldn't be doing these if I didn't, if I didn't think it was valuable for you, for Cardinals fans. I enjoyed doing this so much. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, would love it if you do so. That way you don't miss a B-Shape Daily episode moving forward. And I'm telling you this, like over the past two days, I I can't help but think a Cardinals-Yankees World Series would be absolutely lit. Like it would be so electric. Think about going to the Bronx and then coming back to Bush Stadium and having a, a long series against these guys. Like, 
the Cardinals are playing them even Steven and and then some because they're finding ways to win these games in the end. It's been really impressive what we've seen. I wouldn't count out this St. Louis team. I wouldn't do it yet, especially the way they're playing right now. Six wins in a row. They've they've addressed the things they needed to to get to October, and now we're starting to see the makings of a team that could maybe do some damage when they get there. I don't want to. I, I want to pump the brakes a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'm just saying it's it's early August right now, and there's a lot to like about where the Cardinals are at and where they could be heading. So I recommend subscribing to B Shape Daily so you don't miss a beat the rest of this season. And hey, into the postseason, you know for damn sure we'll be doing daily episodes in October. So appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.